Christ needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, how much more do we? And today we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. And hopefully we'll be able to see how Jesus needed and um, used the, the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation and sin in his life. And um, in doing so, uh, accomplish something that we are unable to do. That's, that's ultimately what this sermon is going to be doing and focusing on. So with that said, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the words of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their heads they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen. And amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the power of your spirit that enabled Christ to overcome temptation and sin. And by that same power and by that same spirit, your people can see in our own lives an overcoming of temptation and sin. Father, please help us now to be hearers and doers of your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There was a study that started back in 1970, and the essence of the study is simply this. There was a child, they would bring a child in, and sit this child in a chair. The child would be four or five years old. And they would sit this child in front of a table. And on the table, they would place a delicious cookie usually chocolate chip or whatever the favorite cookie of the child was. And then they would tell this child, child, if you do not eat this cookie for the next five minutes, we will give you two cookies. And so they would leave the room and they would wait and see what this child would do. Now some children, within two or three minutes, I have a four-year-old, I know this would be the case, 
uh, couldn't control themselves, and so they would grab the cookie and start eating it. But then there were other four and five-year-olds that had a measure of self-control, and so they would take a little bit longer. They would turn their back to the cookie, you know, or they would sit on their hands, or some of them would sing a song, anything they can do to distract themselves from eating this cookie. Now I can tell you if it were I, as they were giving me the instructions, the cookie would be in my mouth almost half gone. Because I like chocolate chip cookies. But I've often looked at this uh, study that they did, and I often said how divorced from reality studies like this are. And here's what I mean by that. In the world that we live in today, we don't have an option of waiting five minutes or ten minutes to uh, not engage or not um, give in to a temptation. In fact, just the opposite. Our world is designed in such a way in which we are told to engage in um, any kind of sin or temptation almost immediately, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be food or drink or sex or whatever you put in that. Our world puts these temptations before us and they say you engage in it to your fullest. Have as much money you want. Have as much pleasure as you want. It's completely without restraint. And then of course when we get to a point where we are abusing these things, there are people that step in, they provide counseling and help, and we get sober or clean, and then what happens? We go right back into the world in which we are tempted with these things all over again. And what our world offers us by way of temptation is more temptation management, where we engage a little, not engage a little, we indulge a little, not indulge a little. We feel guilty, we feel broken down, we get depressed, we have a measure of freedom, and then we go right back over over again. It's temptation management. It's not freedom. And one of the things I love about the gospel is that the gospel offers freedom. You know, I could probably be able to handle sin and temptation a lot better if it didn't harm the people around me. Every time that I get into a temptation, every time that I succumb to a temptation and I sin, it has a profound impact on everyone around me. And one of the beauties of the text that we have is we see Jesus Christ having victory over temptation, having victory over sin, but instead of it having a negative impact on those around him, it actually had a very positive impact on those around him. And that's what I want to talk about today. How does this passage, what does this passage tell us about temptation? How is it that what Jesus did here impacts us in the here and now? And how you and I can have a measure of freedom and walk in such a way that we can live the Christian life without the guilt and shame of giving in to temptation and sin. So with that in mind, I want us to look at three things. First of all, I want us to look at the anatomy of temptation. In other words, what is temptation? 
How, why is it that we succumb to it? Second, what is the answer to temptation? I think Jesus uh, gives us one in here, specifically his answer to temptation. And the third is what Christ's temptation achieved for us. The anatomy of temptation, in other words, what is temptation? The answer to temptation, and finally, what Christ's temptation did for us. First of all, the anatomy of temptation. What is temptation? Look at me, look with me in verse 1 and 2. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, as you read this text where Jesus was led up to be tempted by the devil, no doubt you probably are reminded of a prayer we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer where we are asked, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here it is, Jesus is being led up to temptation. You might say, well, Pastor, what's going on here? Well, a simple distinction would be helpful. Remember the story I told at the very beginning of this, uh, this young, these young children and how they were being tempted with a cookie? Well, there's two things that are going on in that story. The first is this. Those young people are being tested. They're being tested to see if they can exercise self-control and not eat the cookie. But not only are they being tested, they're also being tempted. It's a delicious cookie. Notice they didn't put broccoli or Brussels sprouts in there, right? They didn't tempt them with Brussels and, uh, broccoli and Brussels sprouts because bro broccoli and Brussels sprouts are not good things to tempt people with. I only eat them because my wife tells me they're good for my prostate. <laughs> now, here's the point that I want to tell you that's very important. And it's this. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to test it testing. Now what is he testing him about? Notice with me at, at the end of chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, uh, God looks down on Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a declaration on Jesus of what Jesus is going to do ultimately, which is die for the sins of all mankind. He was going to be the Lamb of God that takes upon himself the sin of the world. He was going to take upon himself the charge of standing in the place of Adam. He was supposed to be the one to succeed where the first Adam failed. And he was going to be the one to succeed where the first Israel failed. And so all of this was upon his shoulders. And when Jesus was led up into the wilderness, he was led up to be tested to see if he would accomplish the mission set before him. And he did. That was the test, and he passed it. But not only that, the Bible tells us that he was not only tested, but he was tempted by the devil. Notice in verse number 3, the devil is called the tempter. He came to him. And what was he tempted, tempting Jesus to do? Well, he was tempting Jesus to sin. He was tempting Jesus to do evil. He was tempting Jesus to, to, to display his glory here and now and instead of on the cross where God had designed him to display it. Now here are three things I want you to know about temptation before we go any further. Number one, here it is. 
that our strongest temptation comes at our weakest moment. Notice in this passage in verse number 2, Jesus had spent 40 days fasting and praying. 40 days, and he was extremely hungry. Now, this isn't a complete fast. This is probably just a fast of uh, food, no food, but he had water. And, you know, science tells us that you can go for a very long time without food. You can just drink water. In fact, when they have hunger strikes, uh, people go for incredibly long periods of time on hunger strike with just drinking water. So this is possible. But Jesus was at his weakest moment. He was tired. And he was hungry. And he was frustrated probably a little bit. But the same thing is true for us. Do you realize that you are tempted at your weakest moments? There's moments when you are tired and frustrated and disappointed. When you don't have enough sleep. I had a, I had a, a someone, a mentor in my life who told me one day I was talking to them and sharing with them different ways I've been tempted. And he said, Dennis, you know what? I think you just need to go to bed early. I think you need to get some exercise. You know, I think you just need to shut off your phone late at night and put it away. He was giving me some practical tips. Why? Because he knew at those moments where I was at my weakest is when temptation tends to be strongest. And the same thing is true in your life. Think with me for a moment the times when you sin. Is it not at those times when you are at your weakest? You're most tired. When you've had a lot going on. Notice the second thing, and it's this. Everyone is tempted in a different way. Now, I venture to say that no one inside here ever will be tempted by anyone to turn stones into bread. And I would also venture to say that none of you inside here today, someone will put you on a high mountaintop and tell you to throw yourself down because the angels will bear you up. And none of you inside here today will be tempted with all the treasures of the world before you, in part because you'd probably take it. But the reality is Jesus' temptations were unique, and so it is with you and I. Our temptations are unique in that, in the way that we are being tempted by them. And this is why we need to exercise toward each other tremendous grace when, we, when someone is overcome with temptation. Because the Word of God clearly shows us that all of us are tempted in different ways. But here's the third thing, and this is the most important thing I think we need to understand about temptation. And it's this. The devil can only tempt us, but he can never, ever cause us to sin. He cannot force us to sin. He can only tempt us to sin. He cannot make us, by any stretch of the imagination, sin. He can only put the sin before us. And here's what the devil's a master at. He's a master at knowing what it is we desire and then bringing the temptation before us, tailor-making that temptation so we'll be tempted to commit that sin. And we see it here. Jesus is hungry in verse number two. And so what does he do? He comes to Jesus and he says, look, just turn these stones to bread and you'll deal with your hunger. The same thing is true for us, beloved. When we are tempted, we are tempted with something that is drawing out a lust in us. English Puritan John Owens explains it very well in Mortification of Sin. Here's what he said. He says, lust gets strength by temptation. 
When a suitable temptation falls in with a lust, it gives in a new life, vigor, power, violence, and rage, which it seemed not before to have or to be capable of. What is John Owen saying here? He's saying this, that when you and I are drawn away to sin, it is with a temptation that is drawing out a lust deep within us. That's why when people are filled with greed and they get a job, what happens? They try to make as much money as they can. Their greed is joined to their job and what happens? They begin to pursue money at all costs. It doesn't matter who they hurt. It doesn't matter who they leave behind in their way. Whenever you and I, whenever there's a temptation that's inside us, and I, uh, sorry, a desire inside us, and there's a temptation placed before us, the devil uses that to draw out that temptation. And Owens is saying, and even here we see this clearly in the word, word that we are being pushed and prodded to commit this particular sin. Why? Because it's drawing out a lust that's inside of us. John says in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things of the world, because everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all of these things are designed to draw out our lust. That's what they're for. Now, what is the answer for us as Christians? Is the answer for us to uh, buy a piece of land and just congregate together away from the entire world so we don't sin? No, that's not the answer. In fact, that's the opposite. Notice the second thing. Notice how Jesus answers temptation. Now, different people throughout history have answered temptations in different ways. Oscar Wilde, for instance, the famous Irish playwright, once humorously said, I can resist everything except temptation. Now, Wilde's answer to temptation is brief, but he gives us what his feelings are regarding temptation is. It's to give in or to embrace temptation. But Jesus says, Jesus gives the answer to temptation, and it's not to embrace temptation, it's to do the opposite. It's to use scripture. To use scripture. Now, Jesus just didn't use any scripture. He used specific scriptures. Notice with me in verse number four, as he's answering the devil in terms of being hungry. Jesus says in verse number four, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where is that from? Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. And then notice in response to the devil taking him up on the pinnacle, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16 and verse number seven. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in verse number 10, in response to showing all the kingdoms of the world, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now what's going on there? Why did he use these specific verses? Here's the reason why. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that the second generation Israelites who are, about to enter the, uh, who are on the plains of Moab, and they're about to enter the, enter the promised land, Moses is preaching them a sermon, and the sermon takes a couple of months to get through. Yes, you know, he had a sermon series of a couple of months, and Deuteronomy is that sermon series. And right in the middle of chapters, what we call chapters 6 and 8, he's telling them something that's very important, the covenant living in the new, uh, where they're going to settle. And here's what he's telling them. In chapter 6, he's telling them, look, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul. 
And then in chapter 7, he's telling them, you are a chosen race, a chosen people, set apart to God. And then in chapter 8, he's telling them, look, because you love the Lord and because the, the Lord your God is an amazing, wonderful God, you now have to love and obey Him. And he's giving them the very crux of what they're supposed to do when they get to the promised land, which is to love God, love each other, and serve the Lord always. And what happened when they reached the wilderness? What happened when they reached the promised land? Well, what happened is that they disobeyed God. They didn't do the things that Moses had told them to do in the book of Deuteronomy. And what, G what the devil is trying to do is get Jesus to commit the same sin that the children of Israel did, give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what Jesus is doing by quoting these scriptures, he's pointing back to the, he's essentially letting the devil know, look, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me to sin in the same way that the children of Israel did, but I'm not going to do it because I remember the promises of God that he gave them in Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And he begins to quote them back to him one by one. And he's letting the devil know that he is going to succeed where Israel failed. That he is going to take up the charge to obey God and do what God has asked him to do, regardless of what the devil is throwing at him. Amen. Now you might read this and you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, wait a minute. Does that mean all I have to do is just memorize a bunch of scripture? And when the devil comes, to throw it at him? In part. But you and I all know that life is much more messy and complicated than that. But yes, Jesus used the scriptures and, he, and the Holy Spirit brought to mind these scriptures and the Holy Spirit strengthened him to succeed where Israel failed, to succeed where Adam failed. But he did it on our behalf. And here's the reason why, because we are not able to do it ourselves. There is no one in this room that's able to overcome sin and temptation on our own. And that's why what Christ did in achieving temptation for us is so important. Which leads me to my third point. What did Christ's temptation achieve for us? How does this benefit us in the here and now? Let me say this. One of the most sobering realities of talking about temptation in the church is when you and I begin to realize that we can never get to a place where we are not tempted, number one, which by the way, temptation is not a sin in and of itself, but we can also get to a place when we realize we'll never stop sinning. That we'll always succumb to temptation. Now, there are some people hear that, and they, they head in one or two directions. Here are the two directions they either head in. Number one, on the one side, they end up becoming antinomians. Right? They end up saying, wait a minute, I, you, Pastor Dennis, you're trying to tell me I'll never stop sinning? That I'll always be tempted? Then I'm going to sin it up? I'm going to live it up? I'm going to continue to sin? But Paul says, wait a minute, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Of course we're not going to do that. And so the answer isn't antinomianism. The answer isn't to get rid of the law. The answer isn't to simply just do whatever we want. Now, the other direction that people go in is we tend to go into legalism. In other words, we tend to start establishing all these rules and laws for our life. 
We tend to say, okay, if I work hard enough and I try hard enough, then you know what? I can get to a place where I'm sinless. But the gospel rejects both antinomianism and legalism. And instead, the gospel offers us the help of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel offers us Christ. So how does Christ help us then to achieve victory over temptation and sin? Well, here's what the Bible says, and this, well, here's what this text says, that because Christ resisted the devil's temptation, we have the ability to resist temptation as well. And you may say, well, Pastor, how do we do that? How is it possible? Now, I went to school, um, Pensacola Christian College, and when I was at Pensacola Christian College, um, I wasn't as sanctified as I am now. Uh, you know, I, uh, let's just say I would be a bit of a trouble right? Now, you got 150 demerits every single semester. And once you hit over that 150 demerits, you have to take like a little, you know, you have to take the long walk home, right? And so I was right at about 120, 130 demerits, and I was flipping through the rule book trying to say, okay, like, what sins can I commit? And what sins I can't commit? You know, I, I, I treated it like money. You know, how much, how much demerits can I spend and how much can I not spend, right? And as I was going through this rule book, I mean, this rule book was thick. I was going through it, flipping through it. And, and I just remember feeling the weight and the bondage of trying to, trying to figure out which, which rules I could break and which rules I can't break. How many demerits am I going to get and how many demerits I'm not going to get? And I, in that moment, I realized that's a metaphor for our lives, right? I mean, we think this way. We think, okay, well, you know, I can sin a little bit, but then I can't sin a little bit, and God's going to, like, get me here, but he's really not going to get me here. And I was in bondage. That's, that's a way of bondage. And I remember um, a few days later, I opened my Bible, and I was reading Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And Galatians chapter 5, 16 says this, Walk in the Spirit, so you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit uh, revealed something to me that's so powerful. In fact, it, it's one of those moments in my sanctification that propelled me forward. In that moment, I had this thought. Notice that the scripture doesn't say, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will walk in the Spirit. No, it says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here's the point of the text, and here's the point of what Jesus' temptation does for us. In order for us to deal with temptation and sin in our life, the answer isn't to follow a bunch of rules. The answer is for you to continue to follow Christ. If you read the New Testament, what is one of the most often repeated, repeated phrase by Christ to people who we just met? Follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, wait a minute, you have to stop cursing and swearing and sinning. Now that will come, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But he starts off by saying, follow me. Because you see, when we follow Christ, as we follow Christ, as we are being led by Christ, as we continue to pray and read our Bibles, and as we continue to come to church and participate in the means of grace, it's in the doing of those things that we lose our appetites. We lose our appetite for sin. You know, I, I used to be the biggest Nirvana fan you could meet. 
And, and early on, even after I became uh, a believer, I used to listen to um, It Smells Like Teen Spirit, like almost on, on record, constantly. And uh, just recently, actually I shouldn't say just recently, about two years ago, and I had been a believer for about 15 years, two years ago I was walking in the mall and I heard that song came on, those songs came on, they were playing the Nirvana album. I just remember thinking like, huh, that's Nirvana. And I kept walking. Now listen, I'm not saying that that's not music I still enjoy, but what I'm saying is that that music no longer has, has power over me. I don't have a taste for it anymore, and I don't know when I stopped. I can't tell you if it was five years after, six years after, I don't know. But here's what I do know, the more I began to walk with Christ and pursue Christ, my desire for the things that I used to like has changed. My appetites have changed. I, you know, I still don't like broccoli and broccoli sprouts, but that, that's not the point. The, the, the point is that I have new appetites now. I have new desires now. And one of the glorious aspects of this text, beloved, is that Christ indeed came and suffered and died for us and overcome temptation and sin to give us new appetites as we pursue Him. But notice also Christ does something else. In Hebrews 4.15, we are told that we have a Savior, a high priest, who sympathizes with our weakness. And because he sympathizes with our weakness, he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. So notice the glory of the gospel and what this text shows us is that because Christ experienced temptation for us, he understands and sympathizes what it means to be tempted. You know, I have asthma, and, and uh, three of the four of my children have a touch of asthma, but one of my children have asthma really bad. One of the hardest things for me as a parent to do is watch um, my child suffer with asthma. And, and to see them struggling to breathe. And, and in that moment, you know, you rush over and you give them a shot of butyrol and you try and help them as much as you can because you sympathize and understand with what they're going through. And you know what this text tells me? And in those moments, I, I'm tempted to sin, that I'm struggling. I've failed for the tenth time this week. That I have a Savior who understands the weakness of my flesh. And he runs over and he does everything he can to bring me to Beloved, that's the beauty of this text and the beauty of the gospel is that we actually have a Savior that sympathizes and understands our weakness and is willing to rush to aid us in our moment of weakness. And my prayer for you is that as we struggle with sin and temptation, that you know that you have a Savior that sympathizes with you, that is doing everything He can to help you. And in fact, even in the text that we read this morning, first thing, there's no temptation has taken you that is common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape 
that you may be able to endure. And he does that by way of him sympathizing with us and by way of him aiding us. He has claimed victory over sin and death and temptation. And now we can be led by him and toward him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the power of the gospel that's evidenced in your temptation. Lord, each and every one of us struggle with temptation. Each and every one of us deals with it in our own way. And my prayer for us is we might deal with it in a way 